for three months, I was the only person in the office running this company. Like I was yeah. the, I was basically the only employee. And so I was ready to go. I don't think any sort of pre entrepreneurship stint would have deterred me from it. Maybe it would have given me some, you know, some different changes to implement immediately, but probably not. Cause all that stuff that we did, we ended up changing anyway. We, it's, we, We've gone through iterations probably three times on different processes. There's an entire generation of Americans who no longer care about prestige, titles, work travel, fancy offices, and lunches. Welcome to Mundane Millionaires, a podcast for this generation of small business owners who want to set their ego aside and focus on what matters, family, community, quality of life, and cash flows. In each episode, Eric Pasifici and Kevin Henderson uncover what it takes to get a little money in the bank, control your time, and invest in building great families and lives. Let's get started. All right, Kev, welcome back to your own pod. Thank you for being here. Always a pleasure, Eric. I, w- I was the one that was... 30 minutes late, I think. You know, t- thing, things happen. We actually, I just, we just wrapped and I just told everybody that this was my first run ever without a technical glitch. That is not true. <laughs> I was 30 minutes late due to a massive technical glitch. So we <laughs> conveniently forgot that. But it didn't uh, interrupt the recording like mine did. So it you'll, didn't. No. You'll, you'll, if you're watching the pod, you'll see me drop for a good 60 seconds due to a power surge turning off. Best 60 computer, seconds but. of the pod. It was it well, all the good that. stuff. I, I wouldn't say that. People have been telling me that. I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that. No, great episode. We got Jake Wakely on the pod. And J- this is a timely episode, actually, because Jake is somebody who bought a business, Budget Movers, San Antonio, with no industry background, with no small beer business experience. And he did it based off of a tweet, largely. There was a tweet from Brandon Lafridge. I believe I'm saying that right. Lafridge, Lafridge in 2021 about buying a small business. It's an interesting tweet. You guys should go look at it. But he went we'll out- We'll drop a link in the show notes to, to make yeah. it easy to find. But Yeah, and Brennan is going to delete that tweet as soon as he sees this. But, so somebody screenshot it, preserve it for posterity. But great episode. You know, Jake gets into the realities. Two years in now, he's done five. He's worked on five transactions. He's closed three in two years. He's had a partnership dispute that we dive into, which is juicy. We don't get into the meat of the partnership dispute because, you know, I don't think that's the point, but he's somebody who's lived out a busted partnership and fascinating perspective on that. What were your favorite Jake Wakely moments with Kev? I I think particularly for listeners who are thinking about partnership or partnered search, I think they're going to find this conversation fascinating and a great cautionary tale. Not that it was a, a horrible, and, and we get into this, not that it was some like big drag out fight, but just, you know, th- things change over time. Priorities change over time. And, and the importance of doing the work up front to unwind a partnership can avoid a lot of headaches at the point where you're having to actually confront the issue. I thought it was a, I thought that was a great discussion. And I enjoyed he- hearing his path. I mean, Jake is someone who like a lot of people we talked to was clearly born to be an entrepreneur. And we get into that difference of like searching for a business, not necessarily out of need, but out of, you know, it's the next step to do because you're discontent in your career development or whatever versus the path to entrepreneurship, because there's literally nothing else you can do other than be an entrepreneur, which I think is the bucket Jake falls in. And I thought that was a, 
really helpful discussion, again, timely with a lot of discussions, I think rightfully so happening in Twitter right now. Yep. Um, Good discussion. Just on, on being open about the dangers of entrepreneurship, the difficulties of entrepreneurship and going in with eyes wide open. I think Jake's someone who has done that in a, with a backdrop of, he really could never do anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's, he's doing great. You know, he's had a partnership dispute. He's had five transactions, three of them closed. It's incredible. Two years. It's been a grind and he's just eternally optimistic. Now I'll caution the audience that Jake's experience and his perspective is one anecdote, right? And I think we do a pretty good job of being balanced in the way that we talk about entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship through acquisition, the reality of some of the fallacies around control and what it really looks like to be running the business. But he, he, it's one anecdote. So obviously, cl classic disclaimers there. But I think this episode, Kevin, is a great contrast to the Tony Lane episode. I think you listen yeah. to the Jake episode, and then I think you go back and you listen to the Tony Lane episode. Jake being at the early stages of his entrepreneurial journey, really after it. Tony being at, you know, I would call it a uh, mature stage of the entrepreneurial journey. He's been at it for decades, very successful. And you can see these two different cast types and the way that they talk and think is fascinating because they're both pure, you know, purebred entrepreneurs yeah. at heart. And so I think that those two things make, an, you know, those two episodes I think together would make a nice little package. No, absolutely. It's a, a, a great suggestion. Certainly urge the listeners to do that. So with that, let's jump into the episode, Eric. Let's let people meet Jake or for those that know Jake, get to know him a little better and enjoy this week's episode. Objective here, and no one to date has been able to successfully do this, is to... Challenge accepted. Yeah, it's to do this. I don't in know a, what the challenge is, but challenge accepted. The the challenge is to to have this be a conversation, much like before we press record, and much like after we hit stop, because I feel like in every podcast we have like really good fun, we're laughing, and then we hit record, and everybody's like, it goes cute, like hardcore Q and A, yeah. and then uh, we uh, hit stop, and it's like we get into this fun discussion about like why the Coronado Hotel in San Diego is like a gigantic <laughs> piece of of crap, and. My and I'm like, birthday. this would have been fun. You did. Okay. Awesome. I love Coronado. I, oh, shit. Well, we got to start with the Hotel Dell then because Eric is on a crusade to condemn this building, I think. I'm a big I'm not, Hotel I'm not, that, so Okay. So here's the reality. It, it was at one point, the and fact check me on this, the world's largest wooden building. Okay. Oh, and interesting. It's okay. On, yeah. See and that. that's, that's what I was told informally. We went on a, a big firm retreat there. And it's on the ocean, fellas. Like you've put the world's largest wooden structure yeah, yeah. on the ocean, not Genius. like in an ocean town, but like on the ocean. A, a so, humid salt water. Yeah. Yeah. Just, and it, it literally right? like it's one of these projects where like I feel like when they finish the construction at one end, they have to restart at the other end and just everything's dripping. Everything's moldy. <laughs> And then they tell these anecdotes like, well, you know, Marilyn Monroe and the Queen of England have stayed here. And my response was, but would they stay here now? Like they stayed here then, but like, you know, a hundred years later, whatever it is. Well, the queen isn't so, staying. Well, I was about to say, I wasn't sure if it's too soon for that joke, Jake. Yeah, for well, sure. Yeah, lay off the queen, guys. Guys, members of the royal family could be listening. Well, I don't to think Marilyn's staying there either. That's true. Yeah. Prince William, I apologize for <laughs> anyway. So Jake, listened. let's kick this off because I actually pulled up. So you mentioned before we got into this, 
you are like your typical business buyer. And this is, you've been a controversial, you as a cast type have been a controversial subject on social media of late as no i was gonna, art- i was gonna say the way you started that i was like jake holy did i miss this what did jake do yeah jake you've been controversial in that you bought a business without industry knowledge without background in the space that you're in which is moving and now you're operating your it would that was 2021 it's 2023 you've bought We're more businesses you bought other businesses in other industries and areas, Vail Home Care, which is in other uh, you states. Tell us in other states. Yep. And you've also done tuck in. So you've done quite a bit in entrepreneurship through acquisition. And, you know, a lot of people are trying to tell us now, and I think for good reason, right? I'm not pushing back necessarily on that narrative completely, but there's a lot of chatter about what you did being a bad idea. So I am curious to hear from you. As one anecdote, obviously your experience will not be representative of what everybody buying a business goes through. But I'm excited to hear directly from you about your journey from software sales, SaaS sales into entrepreneurship through acquisition, running a moving company. So just kind of start off by giving us the background on how you bought a business. And by the way, I pulled up the Brandon Lawfridge tweet that you mentioned. So we'll throw Brandon under the bus here with that one. But give us the background. Let's start there. I've always been entrepreneurial. I've always tried to do something. I think in college, I had a catering business. My dad was an entrepreneur. So I think there's some level of it was in the back of my mind as it was what I wanted to do. I was in software sales, IT consulting, working for a S&P 500 company, worked for Gartner. They're huge. They're global. You know, made great money. Worked very few hours, kind of the the cush job and just hated it. I hated the corporate nature of it. I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I think for the longest time it was, I should go start something. Eric, I think I've mentioned to you, Kevin, I don't know if you know, my dad passed away from Alzheimer's about four years ago. And so we went through the whole senior care process with those facilities. I even tried to start like a placement service for senior care to find the right facility because it was a, a train wreck for us to do that. And so try to spin up a whole website. So I've went down that route, trying to go the startup route and realize that I just, I, that's not me. That was that a like active decision at the time versus acquiring, or had you not really learned about or caught on to this whole ETA movement and, and kind of path to entrepreneurship through buying it, it was more out of ignorance, you thought starting was the only way to go? Yeah, I don't even think I knew the, the acronym ETA meant until after I had already acquired my first business. Oh, okay. Like I, didn't, I didn't know that there was search. I didn't know what all this stuff was. It was just I wanted to get into entrepreneurship, and I was going to figure out a way how to do that. Um, and then I think I got onto Twitter at some point. I don't even know why or how or, or who got me on. But then yeah. I came across that Brandon Lawford's tweet, and it was maybe Thanksgiving of 2020. Well, Eric's and then around- got it. So, Eric, when, when was, and just to interject into yeah, the story here, when sure. was that, and what yeah. was the tweet? And I'll, I'll put it on the screen here, actually. It's a long one. If oh, okay, it's a long thread. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a thread, cool. yep. But, but I think yeah. the, 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 the hook here, and if you guys could see this, firmly believe, this is what Brandon said on July 13th of 2020. Firmly believe that the most certain path to building high net worth, 10 million plus, is buying a small business at a relatively young age. Here's a model. 
and he walks you through the model. So if anybody's interested in looking that up, I mean, we won't dive too deep, but there are quite a few interesting qualifiers here. Most certain path. So obviously he's not suggesting that it's a slam dunk. What he's saying is relative to other ways to build a high net worth, which I think is an important thing to note for the audience. And he's and 10 million plus is, is pretty significant. I think that that's high net worth. It's not ultra high net worth, which I believe starts at 25 million, but we're talking about ways in which you can kind of crush it financially. And I, I, I don't know, guys, I think there's only a handful of ways you can, can really get there. And, but then he goes on to say at a relatively young age as well. So he's qualifying this tweet in a number of important ways, I think. But anyways, Jake, that's the, that was the genesis for your journey into entrepreneurship through acquisition. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much that I kind of read through that and anybody that wants to read the tweet can, I I read through that and a lot of it made sense. It was, you know, you could find a business and it kind of walks through with some, you know, some metrics on it. It's like, you could find a business for X amount. You can pull in, you know, X amount of equity and raise that through friends and family, go buy a business, jump in and operate it, this kind of stuff, and then potentially exit at a certain point or cash flow. And so that that kind of got the juices rolling. And I was like, you know what? To hell with this. I'm gonna I want to go buy a business now. I I think this makes sense and I can see myself doing this. It it's not so outlandish that I don't think I could figure it out. Obviously there's a I'm I'm probably dumb enough to not over analyze it like some people, you know, you go in, you try to over diligence something, you you walk away. I was just dumb enough to go, yeah, let's let's do this shit. Let's get it going. So what was the mentality here though? And to give credit to those who are voicing, you know, concerns in the community about you got to go into this with eyes wide open. I think some of that pushback has been against the person who's like, I'm burnt out for my corporate job. I guess I'll go buy an HVAC company and and get loaded, you know, while having someone else operate it. Like, okay, I I get that. It sounds like you weren't in that seat though, from by, if I heard you correctly, you said you weren't even working very many hours and making fantastic money. So what compels a person like Jake Wakely to walk away from what sounds like a pretty cush job where you could phone it in and take some of that cush salary to deploy through to other investment strategies? It it feels to me, and maybe I'm, you know, this is too leading of a question, but it, it feels to me like there was something more there. A level of crazy. <laughs> I just don't think I would have been happy continuing to go down the corporate route. Yeah. yeah. It was fairly cush at times. It was not many hours at times. I think it was just something that I needed to do versus there is a whole camp of I'm burned out. This is my almost like my, my escape is entrepreneurship. I think there is risk in that because it's not easy. Everybody, you know, we all know it's not easy. There's risk in it. And so I think you, you've you got to be kind of 100% into it if you want to go down the entrepreneurship route because there are risks. It's not a slam dunk every time. And so I knew I wanted to get into entrepreneurship. I knew I wanted to be my own boss. I didn't want to have a boss looking over me going, Hey, did you make your X amount of calls today? Hey, where are the, you know, what's the status of this deal? Hey, did you talk? It's like, no, I, I want to be able to make the decisions and and then also have kind of an unlimited path for, you know, if I, yeah, 
want to take off and go do whatever I want to do. I don't, I don't want to be beholden to somebody, especially around like Christmas time, New Year's. It's like end of quarter, you know, in sales, especially in something like that. It's like we were on New Year's Eve every single year. And when I was in the office, we were at the office until 10, 11 o'clock at night trying to close deals before midnight. Like I, I don't want that. You know, there, there was some level of that, but I think even more so it was the fact that I just wanted, I wanted to be my own boss versus, I think it was that versus being an escape of the burnout of corporate probably led me more to this path than it was the actual like, Hey, I'm just burned down. I need something else. Well, and let's come back to that. Cause I feel like that's such a common theme of people in our space and also, you know, people who are listening to this that kind of want out of that corporate life is the control element of being a small business owner, which, you know, a lot of seasoned SMB operators will tell you is a little bit more fallacy than it is reality, depending on. So let's come back to that and let's get an I mean, update you hit it on, the on the head. You said I'm doing this 23 and a half hours a day. That is reality. I mean, my wife says it all the time. She's like, yeah, you know, yes, I can go be at my daughter's dance recital and I can, you know, go play golf if I want to. But in reality, I'm, there's no off switch. I'm yeah. on it, As long as I'm awake, I'm on like it's there. I don't, there is no off switch. So it's just different. I don't think I've told this story on the podcast before, but when we were launching the law firm, I called my brother who had left, he was at Goldman for many years. And then Merrill Lynch for a lot of years as an ultra high net worth private wealth manager and launched his own firm with some partners and they were several years into it. And uh, so I called him just to get advice. We were working on our partnership agreement and things. And he was driving to date night with his wife. They were going to dinner. I happened to be with my wife and we're talking through. And my wife said something like, we're super excited, you know, for this, this like new whatever. And like Kevin will be able to be around more and, you know, working from home and whatever. And my sister-in-law in the passenger seat just busts up laughing. And she's like, oh, Tara, call me in six months and let's let's talk. And and I kind of laughed. I didn't get it at the time. I didn't fully appreciate. But it was kind of having been through this, particularly as a spouse from the outside looking in, she kind of knew what it meant to step into entrepreneurship. And it, it's been a rude awakening. I mean, she was absolutely right. It's different working for yourself. But I, I work more than I've ever worked now that oh, we yeah, own our totally. own business. Well, and I think it's an important litmus test for who is a true entrepreneur, right? Because I think six to 12 months of of this, you go, you either say, this is horrible. I want to go back to punching the clock and yeah. just checking out at 5 p.m. I don't want to do this. Or you go, yes, I am thinking about my business 23 and a half hours a day, but I've never been happier. I've never been more fulfilled in my career I love the control. I love that the buck stops with me. I love that if I want to go golfing, I can do it. If I want to go to my my daughter's soccer game, I can do it. But that that should not be mistaken with us trying to communicate the idea that it is necessarily easier than right. corporate right. life because I think nuts and bolts wise, it is it's not. Yeah. No. I don't know no, how you no, get no. that. Ex how do you get? How do you find that out before you've taken the plunge? I mean, I've heard some people say go in and like work like in a business, like go take a job with yeah. an owner kind of doing that just to see what it looks like. I think you'd have to find the right opportunity because, you know, a lot of these business owners aren't just going to say, Hey, you know, sure. Come on in and be my GM and I'll turn it over to you for, you know, just to see if this is right for you. But if you're able to do that, 
I mean, it at least gives you a, an insight into the difference in small business versus corporate. You know, at corporate, it was like, like I said, yeah. I maybe eight to noon or something. I, you know, I'm riding a Peloton in the middle of the day. As long as I, you know, I got my calls done and then, you know, got my sales and they kind of let me do my thing. And then I'd turn it off on Friday and I didn't have to check what, back in. Like, it's just, it's way different. Would it have changed anything? I, I'm, I'm curious, like in, in your mind, because to me, and maybe this is irresponsible, I don't know, but, but to me, it feels like that path is just delaying the decision that at the point I'm going to shift career and go work for another small business owner, I'm already making that shift into entrepreneurship. It's going to be really hard for me to go back. So it almost feels like I'm just putting off and delaying the eventual decision to go buy a business or start a business or do my own thing anyway. Like I, I, I don't, I'm not convinced if I had gone that route that it would have changed my mind in any material respect. Do you think it would have changed your mind? Do you think it would have improved your transition? Do you think it like, I I don't think it would have changed my mind. I think I was, I mean, I was dead set on this. The second I made the decision I was doing this, there was no turning back Yeah, to the point where I, I mean, I did this whole transition, did the surge, went through the whole process while still working my corporate gig. And then I left, like, I think I left on like June 30th and we had some delays in closing. And so we bought on like July 21st. So I had like three weeks of fun employment of just hanging out. And even those three weeks, I was in the office at, you know, I'd let the movers leave and then I'd get in the office and I was already starting to work. Like I was already plugged in, ready to rock. And, you know, for three months, I was the only person in the office running this company. Like I was the, I was basically the only employee. And so I was ready to go. I don't think any sort of pre entrepreneurship stint would have deterred me from it. Maybe it would have given me some, you know, some different changes to implement immediately, but probably not. Cause all that stuff that we did, we ended up changing anyway. We, it's, we, we've gone through iterations probably three times on different processes. Yeah. I think for the three of us, though, I think we are entrepreneurs, right? So I think us going into that environment, having that test drive to the extent you can really have it, right? Because I do wonder aloud, like going into somebody else's business is yeah. not the same as going into your own business. It never will be. And that's why it's very challenging to find a good operator that really I'll make a know, distinction. I think if you're an entrepreneur, it's not going to make a change in your decision making. I don't know if it can deter somebody. Now, where it's valuable is probably if you're looking in an industry specific to get some industry insight. Like, it, yeah. had, had I yeah. known, like, hey, I'm going to go into the moving business, I'm going to go work in operations for a moving company for, you know, six, eight months or a year or something before I buy. Yeah, yeah maybe that helps and, and helps my launch pad on it. But deterring or, or helping make the decision on entrepreneurship, I, I don't think it would have done anything. Well, and I think there, but, but I do think, in contrast to us three, there are a lot of people that would, would benefit from going into a small business before they make take the plunge, so to speak, and realizing that many days it is a shitstorm. Yeah. It never feels like you're making progress. And despite what the data may or may not tell you, it, you know, you feel like you're treading water 98% of the time. And yeah. I think there are some people that need to get into that environment and go, this is not for me, right? Yeah. I am better off just punching a clock and... So I just don't know if there's a way to do that. 
Because a lot of times you're, you're talking about these corporate guys that are, or, or gals coming out and it's like, hey, you know, they're usually making pretty good money. What are they going to do? Quit and go make, you know, 40, 50 grand to be in a business to figure out if it works. And that honestly not, feels like I, the biggest impediment to me. Like go to, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, and that yeah. was part of mine. It's like, I, we had a lifestyle that I couldn't give up that money to go jump into a business for, you know, 40, 50 grand to maybe see if it works out. I mean, I, I would say that's probably the biggest impediment to people doing that and trying to figure it out is they've got to go jump in full head because it's the only way for them to continue making the money that will support their lifestyle. Yeah. So Jake, let's talk concretely then. And just to round out this point, we, we, we go into this, we want to buy a business or start a business because of the idea of control. You've been doing this now since 2021. How, what is, what does your life look like concretely? And I you're going to have to soften a little bit in case your wife listens to this, but <laughs> you're not playing golf middle of the day. Oh, we'll she, she's not going to, she's not going to listen to this shit. She, <laughs> she's like, this is your world. You go, you go do whatever you're going to do. If it pays off in the end and we can go have a mountain house in Colorado at some point, then I'll be happy. Like, sure. She's like, but no, she, is that it? Is that the arrival point, Jake? When you can buy a, buy a house in Breck? That, that is, that is, I, I think one of the arrival, but she wants a lake house. Yeah. I want a mountain house, but we'll get to the veil business. But that's one of the reasons we bought out one of the many reasons we bought out there is we'd like to spend more time up in Colorado. So yeah. Yeah. One of the end games is to have a place up there that we can go spend time. You know, we're both avid skiers. We love skiing. I also love playing golf in Colorado because it helps my game when I can hit it, you know, 50 yards further up in the mountains. <laughs> uh, no, that, that is one, but you know, back to Eric's point, I, I would say my my life is happier. It is probably more chaotic than it was before. I think in the last six months, maybe the last two months, I am probably more clear on my path forward and my headspace than I have been in the last three years. There's probably a number of factors to that. But lifestyle-wise, I don't think anything has drastically changed. It's not like we're you know living some lavish lifestyle now. Everything is fairly similar to where it was before. I think I just have more control over it and I'm just happier. I'm one of those people. I could never go back. I could never go back yeah. to a corporate gig. If, if all of this crashed and burned, I'd go figure out another one to do. Like, <laughs> asking, I, asking for a friend, Jake, when do you get to the point where you stop stressing about the unpredictability of revenue every month, you know, versus a W a W two paycheck? I'm I'm being half tongue in cheek, but that that's also a serious I'm, I'm question. His friend. I think. I'm his only friend, so it's a dead <laughs> giveaway who he's talking about. So please, it's a, it's all right, Kevin. I'll be your friend. Thank you. I don't know if it stops. Yeah. I mean, I've got forty year old, you know, forty year old businesses owners that we're talking to that I'd like to think they're still looking at it. I'd like to think they're still worrying about it. Now, maybe that's just the size of their businesses that they have to. Yeah, I mean, there's probably a level of like once your business gets to a certain size, you're not as worried about that as you are other issues, but I mean, we're, we're still worrying about it. I mean, we're, yeah. and I do every day. It's yeah. I was in there this morning trying to drum up new opportunities and calling different people. And yeah, I'm still in the office in the morning calling up, you know, corporate deals to try to figure out partnerships and, you know, 
calling real estate uh, agents to spin stuff uh, on. So that's my stomach. I didn't have lunch. So <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, my. Uh, I, you I, ate it. You ate a Taco Bell. That was the problem. I knew it was going to yeah. happen right in the middle. I was like, I'm going to let the dogs in. I'm going to regret it after I do. No, it's okay. You're going to park something. We are a dog friendly podcast here, Jake. Well, let's let's pause for a second because we're. Let's take take us through your story though, right? So you buy this business, Brandon Lawford's tweet. You leave you leave software sales. You buy your first business. You have a couple tack-ons. You have a partnership dispute that we should touch on. And the the upshot being, we talk about control. We talk about the lifestyle and all this, but it has not been all sunshine and rainbows in the last two years. Tell us what the reality of buying a business and doing what you've done looks like, and what you've actually done. Yeah. And I think the theme is in, in sales, they always tell you never too high, never too low in your emotions. I think that is key because every day is a win and a loss. There's always something with, with every major win, there's a loss. And obviously getting the first business across the finish line in 2021 was a huge win. It kind of gave us that, that launching point. And I was talking with Kevin a little bit. We are, I, my ideas on how I wanted this to go obviously have changed. You mentioned the partner dispute. We originally thought we were going to kind of do all these different home services businesses and have this, you know, holding company diversified and have all these, you know, own the home kind of the neighborly path where you kind of have all these different business models. That was in, you know, through 2021, 2022. Part of that is buying the business up in Colorado. So in June of 2022, we bought our concierge property management firm in, in Beaver Creek, Vale area. So that's We've one got, year after your first acquisition or how long was the? Uh, 11 months. 11 months. So it's probably, I think it was around New Year's, I was on Biz Buy Sell looking at random stuff in Colorado, probably had a couple of cocktails, you know, was start searching Vale, Colorado for a Vail, for a business to buy and came across a you know property management firm in you know, Vale, Colorado. There's the like, real oh. story of the path to entrepreneurship here, folks. A few, <laughs> few cocktails in and all of a sudden you wake up owning a small business with a personal guaranteed SBA. Yeah, a few, few cocktails and flip com, And next thing you know, you're a guest on Monday Millionaire. So here we are. Yeah. It's, but yeah, no, we uh, came across the property management firm, messaged my, my now partner up there who happened to be my college roommate freshman and sophomore year, or he lived below me freshman year. College roommate, sophomore year, lived in Vail coming out of college. His family had a condo there he lived in, was a high-end real estate agent. And so we we had gone skiing there with him for probably a decade now. Every year, my wife and I got engaged in Vail. It was a very special place to us. And I was like, oh, it'd be cool to own a business there. Selfishly, I want to spend more time there. And it now give us, it would pay us to go versus us paying to go skiing every year. Yeah, that's my mentality of like, oh, how can I get paid to go skiing versus paying to go? So I came across it and I texted him and I was like, hey, what do you think? And a couple of days later, he was like, this looks fun. And so naturally, I signed the NDA, contact the broker, talk to him, set up a call with the seller. <laughs> call went great. And then we kind of went down that path of, okay, well, shit, how do we make this work now? And I, I was still early on enough in this whole buying a business deal that we had tried the SBA once before it failed miserably with the moving business. I think it was due to the lender versus anything else. Yeah. We just whole nother story went down that route. It didn't work again with this business. I think because it was zero assets, it was a, just a contractual business property management. Yeah. 
ended up having to raise private finance for it, just private money at the 11th hour, and then ended up closing it in June of 22, which would have been 11 months into us owning the moving company. And yeah. so we're now two and a half years into the moving company now and a year and a half into the property management firm. And then let's see. And, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask. So, so then how does that look? So one, one business with a moving business is local to you. You can be, you can be in the building meeting with the workers within a, a, a few minutes or whatever. Yep. This other business now is, you know, different state. It's a flight away, right? What is, how does it look for an entrepreneur thinking of growing, you know, maybe even multiple business? How does that look for you day to day vis-a-vis what are you doing with the moving company that's local? How are you involved in this company that you're not local to and, and can't be at, at, at a moment's notice? What does that look like for you? I think having the right team is critical. Obviously having a vested partner up there is yeah. huge. Zach is now our our GM. We went through a whole ordeal there with, I would say, the wrong team members for about a year or so. Luckily, we got it straightened out and we're, everything's good to go now. But having the on-site partner there, we I couldn't have done it. No, like, no yeah. questions asked. It would have failed miserably without having him up there and kind of ingrained in that community. He's lived there for, I guess, what, 10 years? Maybe wow. eight years out of college. So, like, he, he's the kind of guy that walks down the street and everybody knows him. Yeah. And so it helps having that person, especially yeah. when you have to have relationships with like local contractors and vendors that are notoriously terrible to work with up there. They're just, they're hard. So I think having him was absolutely critical from a day-to-day -day standpoint. They handle most of it. We're more, I, I am more back office. You know, I'm the one that's, you know, client has an issue with their contracts it comes to me, I aggressively ping Eric and tell him to fix it. No, they, they come to, it's like, hey, we're signing on a new client. I need to go, you know, fill in the blanks of the contract and send it out to them. Or, hey, we're handling invoicing, uh, payables, you know, working with the CPA to close the books, that kind of stuff that nobody wants to deal with, but somebody's got to, we kind of handle yeah. that. We just take all that stuff off their plate, but they handle all the day-to-day -day stuff here. I've got a director of operations who is, has been critical to our growth. He handles most of like, you know, movers are calling out, movers are calling in, you know, hiring, firing, that kind of stuff. He'll, he'll handle most of that. I'll handle, you know, insurance renewals, growth, marketing, sales, kind of steering the ship to a certain degree. Now I'm still there every day so like this morning we were both there standing on the dock while the guys are coming in like talking through jobs with them and whatnot so still very much plugged in on the day-to-day -day. i would say the business out there probably takes i don't know maybe 10 percent of my bandwidth maybe and it's getting less and less as we've kind of brought in the right team members yeah here still takes up the moving business is still you know 95 percent of my head space on Your a day-to-day -day basis. No, Not even that's yeah, interesting. Just, just where my head is at almost consistently. Yeah. So Jake, how many deals have you done total since 2021? How many have you worked on and how many have you closed? We've closed three. We've worked on five, maybe six. Like, 
like wor- worked or or working? Well, let's go with worked. Meaningfully worked. I mean, obviously, deciding. I don't mean just signing an NDA. I mean, like you've actually gone under LOI and you've been, you know, wanting to consummate the deal, save for interferences yeah. and what the like. Yeah, I would say worked five, five maybe six deals, and then we've closed three in two the years. Budget. Yeah, two two moving companies. One recently. Thank you. I'm still waiting on my hat from Kevin though. Me it's too. actually on my to-do list, believe it or Me not. Me too. So. Kevin, what's up we'll, with these hats? We'll, we'll, figure, we'll figure that out before we wrap. But yeah, we two I'll moving companies and a concierge property management firm. And then we, again, going back to that whole, like we thought we would do like a diversified home services, you know, diversified service business. We, we thought, hey, we've got the back office and we can just deliver that to any kind of service business and it'll work. In hindsight, I still think it could work. I just, the opportunity came down to, there's such a big opportunity in the moving space for us now that that plus the the partner dispute, I think kind of steered my head in the right direction. But earlier this year, we targeted a ski shop in Breckenridge. We targeted a manage or infrastructure related road service business that would have been huge. In hindsight, both of those falling through was probably for the best it would have locked me in with that partner even further trying to unwind. And so I think after those two fell through, I just made a, a mental shift of it, it kind of looked back at where we were and one, why did it fall through Two, where were we at with our current businesses? And it became abundantly clear that he and I didn't see eye to eye and something needed to yeah. change. Let's get back to the partnership dispute just a second though. Cause I just want to round out this point and we'll, and then we'll, yeah. we'll dive into that. Cause I think that that's yeah. what everybody who's tuning yeah. in wants to hear about. <laughs> but I always say it's a, it's a mile to the starting line and then it's an inch to the second one. I think in your case, it was an inch to the first one and an inch to the second one. And then, you know, you're doing a lot of deals. This happened really rather quickly. I mean, from the time Brandon Lawford tweeted to the time you closed your first deal was fast and, you close your second one in 11 months. You've done, you've worked on meaningfully five in two years, two and two and a quarter years. Two and a half, yeah. And you've closed three. What, a, after having lived this out in that, what is your perspective on business buying? Are you trying to buy? And again, acknowledging for the audience that this is one anecdote, Jake's experience is not representative of other folks' experiences. But what is your perspective based on that experience? Like, what is my path or like biz, business buying overall? Good idea, bad idea. If you're going to buy a business, you would advise somebody the following. I'm a firm believer that it can be a jump start into an amazing career. So happy that I am in it. I also know it is not right for a lot of people. Like a lot, a lot of people should not be getting into it. It's. I think it goes back to that whole you know corporate where it's like, I was leaving corporate because I knew this is the path I wanted to go down not because I thought it was an escape from something I was unhappy with. Yeah. You can like, you can be in your corporate gig and be super unhappy and just go to a different gig in corporate that makes you like a different job that makes you happy. Like I, I don't think you have to be stuck in your path, but I also don't think entrepreneurship is the right path for a lot of people. I got a lot of friends here. They're like, Oh, I'd love to do this. And I was like, you are, are you going to get up at, you know, 5 a.m.? Like <laughs> this would be a terrible not- idea. Like, like, you are not the right person for this. I, I know, I'm like, I know you and I know that you, you're not going to answer the call whenever it comes in. 
You're not going to drop. I, you know, you Ke- need, I had the same it. conversation with Kevin before we launched. I was like, Kevin, you don't, you don't want any part of this. <laughs> Tells me all the time that I I'm I would be a terrible entrepreneur. I should never run my own business. Don't say and, those and things. Here, and yeah. here you are holding <laughs> the whole doing, thing together. He's doing great. He is. He's the glue. <laughs> Him and that hat, him and those hats you won't share with us are holding this whole thing together. I know, I know. Uh, But that's a good, that's, I I think that's helpful perspective. Back up to you said not right for a lot of people. It's not an escape. It needs to be your path. Elaborate on that. Who are the people that, that buying a business is not right for? I don't know if I can nail like a certain trait, but you have to be it. Like you've got to want to be your own boss. You've got to want to, not that I want to answer the call and want to go deal with the issues, but you have to. Like, there's no, like, it's not, there's nobody else I can pass this up to and say, hey, I am at a soccer game or I'm at golf and you know, sorry, I got to turn my phone off. It just, it doesn't happen. It's like, you, yeah. like, you have to have that mentality of like, I'm going to figure it out one way or another. And I think going back to like, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur growing up. It was always like a, he had a saying, it was always, oh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. It didn't matter what the issue is. We'll figure it out. Like you kind of have to have that gene in you or that, that gear to turn where it's like, yeah, shit's hitting the fan. Okay. Let's figure it out or else you're well, you'll I, just, I, or I, else you'll pack it in. I actually... I love that. I've never thought about it like that. That's definitely something that I see in myself. I am a we'll, we'll figure it out person. I'm always, and it's more broad than just specific issues. For me, it has always been, let's figure the whole thing out. The forest, right? The trees, yes, we're going to figure out each one. We're going to find a solution to each issue as it pops up. But also, how do we find a solution for the whole forest, right? And to me, that's always been about how do I create a high quality life that works not just financially, not just at home, not just, you know, fulfillment wise, but marrying up all those things of what am I good at? What do I like to do? What what can I make money doing? And having an amazing quality of life. We didn't buy a business. So again, I've never bought a business, but we are entrepreneurs. And I think for me, you you know, I I always think about the Nick Saban quote where he talks about how the average person or, or every one of us only wants to do the bare minimum. That's all we want to do. We just want to get by. That's our human nature. And yet some of us have chosen to do this extraordinary thing that you're describing where you've got to figure it out constantly and you're never off. And I think the the explanation of how you marry up those two things is we are people who are trying to figure out how we can do, have the, uh, I want to say this in a better way, how we can have the highest quality of life overall. And that means- sacrificing in the short term and kind of grinding yeah. a little bit harder. I think, I don't know. Yeah. And I, I tell my wife that I'm like, I mean, there are times where it is stressful as all hell. I know it's taking a toll on everybody and we sit down and she's like, look, just do what you need to do. I'm, I'm betting on the future. Like I, I'm betting and it's like, okay, good. So like it, there are going to be like, there are going to be shit moments now, but I keep telling her like, I, my goal is to, to grind away now and figure it out now. And I, I don't want to miss all the little moments in my kid's life. And I'm not, and I'm, I'm able to go do a bunch of that stuff, but it's like, we're not going on the France trips with my in-laws. We're not going on a bunch of these things. It's like, Hey, we're, I'm going to buckle down now so that in, you know, five, six, seven years, I'm going to look up when I'm 40 and realize it's like, holy shit, like this is pretty damn cool. 
Like yeah. I've got something that, yeah. that maybe I can not necessarily pack it in because I don't, I've said this to a bunch of people, like, I don't think I'll ever be able to not work. Like I, I, I am not mentally the type of person that can retire. I don't think I ever will. My work will just shift to something different. Like yeah. there'll always be something. It'll just be different. It may not be as much or as time consuming, but there'll be something. Don't think I'll ever be able to do it. And I think that's another part of it. It's like, there's, there's these types of people where it's like one, you just can't deal with bosses is another one. Like I just, I, I think there's a, a subset of people that they're just, I don't call it rebels, call it whatever you want to call it, but it's, they're not meant to be in some sort of like very structured path. I think those are the types of people as well that can yeah. get into this. Well, one of the things, well, and, and perhaps this, this is a good segue, because I mean, one of the ways that you can mitigate some of what you're talking about and kind of knowing your strengths and, and in this path to partner or entrepreneurship is to consider partnering with the right people based on your skill set. Like one of the reasons Eric and I worked so well together from the get-go is because we both bring very different kind of skill sets and backgrounds and kind of strengths to a partnership that complement each other. So uh, on the one hand, it's not to say like, if you don't check every box to be your own boss and own a business on your own, you can't be an entrepreneur because there's this other path. You could partner with the right people whether that's one, two, whatever, that all complement each other. I'm, I'm curious as we segue and start a little bit about your, you know, as you went into search and partnered with someone, was there an element of that? Has that played into, how has that played out over the past two and a half years to where you are now kind of unwinding a partnership? I'd be curious to know your, your thoughts and where partnerships fit into the, this sort of overall discussion about what you bring to entrepreneurship and whether you're, you're the right type of person. I think there was a level of that when I was getting into my partnership. I think there was a level of me thinking I, I think one, I was, I was done enough to, to want to just jump in. Uh, but two, I think I kind of viewed my, whether or not it was external forces, I kind of viewed myself as not smart enough to figure it out on my own. I've, failed out of college, was never a school person. I went back and ended up finishing, but like I, academia was never my forte. I, I was always kind of a learn in the real world type of person. And so I think part of this was bringing in my partner into the mix that he was a financial advisor, MBA, super smart guy, knew a lot of folks, you know, I, I mean, I know folks with money too from where I grew up in, but it was, hey, you can bring that level of, you know, expertise to the mix. And he had worked with business owners on the back end. So it's like, hey, you know, the insurance side, the HR side, you had some sure. experience here, you can help out. I think there was a level of me kind of doubting that I could do it on my own, which is the reason why we brought him in. I, him and I were roommates out of college. We were best friends for years we had tried to start businesses together. We tried to start air like a top golf in the airport in DFW at oh, one wow. point. Like, that's like not a bad idea, business. actually. That's it was a solid idea at the time. It was like full, like full on business plan written up, like went and actually met with DFW airport with their directors, picked out a space in the terminal, like all of that. And then it just ended up fizzling out. But like him and I had, had talked about and tried to start stuff over the years. And so, at the time, it was like whenever we were getting in this, it was a no-brainer. Like, hey, this is our shop. Let's get into entrepreneurship. Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, 
my parents were entrepreneurs, his dad's an entrepreneur, like it, it kind of made sense. And there, but there was a level of like, Hey, you bring some stuff to the table that I, I could probably learn, but I felt like he knew and we could just run with it. Gotta so, be careful with it. Go ahead, Eric. No, I was just going to, I think I, I, I would love to hear about your perspective. I, you know, I don't think we need to get too much into the actual partnership dispute and the unwinding of it, but you've been through this life cycle. You're a couple years in, you had a, I, I want to hear from you about what you think makes a good partnership. And when you look to, and maybe your answer will be, I'm never taking another partner again, but if you were to take another partner, you know, what would that look like? How would you vet the person and what parameters would you put on it? I've gone down this thought process a lot. I don't think I would close the door on partnerships altogether because I think there is value in them. And I think Kevin and I were talking pre-call a little bit. I think there's finding the right counsel as well and making sure the operating agreement is as detailed as possible. That wasn't the case. And so there's a lot of ambiguity with dissolving a partnership if you don't have that yeah. detailed and have that conversation, you know, everybody says that getting into a partnership, it's all sunshine and rainbows. You know, everybody's happy. This is never going to fail. It's going to be great. We're all going to you know, be billionaires together and it's going to be fantastic. Everybody's going to work great. There's never going to be an argument. Never happens. And so I think that is one of the things that I would make sure going into a partnership moving forward is that it's planning the exit from the get go. Not as if it's going to happen, but just making sure like, hey, it, it doesn't even need to be a contentious thing. It's like, hey, if, if you know, lifestyles change, like, hey, I no yeah. longer am really in it and I want out. Okay, cool. How do we do that? Making sure it doesn't turn into anything contentious, I think is important. I, we just didn't have that. So I don't think partnerships are in and of themselves bad. I think just making sure that there's one, a, an exit plan planned out. I think expectations from the get-go are important as well, like very clearly defining what the roles and what, you know, what the understanding of those roles are in the partnership are important. And then I, going, going into it now and kind of looking at it, we, we weren't 50-50 and I'm, I'm grateful for that. I think true 50-50 partnerships are just so hard. Yeah. And it's, they're unicorns when they work and they can work. It's just, I, I think they're just incredibly hard. And so even if it's a, you know, 5149, I think I'd, I don't know if I'd ever get into a, a 50, 50 partnership just because I know it's, I, I want to know what, what the exit plan is. I want to have control over it now, if it's, and I, I'm could be fine being the lesser if I know that that's, what, if that's my role, it's just, so, so if, if there's a listener that's in a 50, 50 partnership that's hearing this and is like, Ooh, maybe I should make a change asking for a friend. How do you recommend they go? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. How do you unwind <laughs> that? Well, when you say that 50, 50 partnerships are hard, what do you mean? If I think they're hard because there's always going to be a level of, we need to do equal work. And if, if there's perception that not equal work is being done by one, then resentment starts to show or can start to build up. And it's, if compensations aren't the same, like it 50, 50 just seems it, it's tough. 
and we tried, we even tried doing, you know, we had our equity was different, but then our compensation was tied to the amount of work in the business. And even that started to kind of, in theory is great, but then it starts to shift. And it's just, I, I think 50-50 partnerships are tough in that there can be the view that you've got to be equal work all the time or else it's imbalanced. And as part of that, yeah. just expectation setting, do you think, I think so. some of the dispute could be avoided when you have those, to your point, understandings and think through up front? Because you can imagine a scenario where one person brings operational expertise, the other person brings finances, right? The person bringing finances, by definition, is going to be less involved in the day-to-day, -day, but is no less important to a deal getting done. But that's a, it's an expectation setting exercise 100%. as much as it is. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think, and that goes back to making sure expectations are set from the get go, but also circumstances change, you know, yeah, you, you come in at a certain level and all of a sudden the business blows up and more involvement is needed, but not given, then maybe yeah. things change or, or vice versa. It's just, it circumstances change is so constant communication is always is also vitally important in partnerships it's like hey as as the business you know business is never going to be exactly how it was when you bought it like and most of the time in you know you buy a business you're not you don't want to keep it the same you're wanting to grow you're wanting to expand you're wanting to do something so the needs of the business are going to change and so you know having that level of expectation from the get-go but also constant communication throughout has to happen. And if it doesn't, yeah. then it deteriorates. Well, totally. And I think for me, so when Kevin and I were thinking about partnering with Sam and whatever else, the first question I asked Kevin, if you remember, Kevin was like, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? Right. And I wanted to hear from him. I feel like we're in like couples counseling right now, Kevin. This is pretty funny. I, I was going to, I was about to make a joke, like replace partnership with marriage and like replay this entire 10 minutes. Anyway. Yeah, yeah totally. hundred percent. Any, any relationship, yeah. right? hundred percent. You can absolutely, any relationship, marriage, partnership, whatever, the foundation has to be the same, right? And right. successful organization. And I think it's vision or it's goals is the basis for that. First question yeah. I asked you, Kevin, when we were thinking about partnering was, what are you trying to accomplish? What are you trying to do? And what I, I was listening for a very specific thing, which is stakes are high for you. You're going to do what you got to do to make this successful. And the first thing you brought up was you got kids that are about to go to college. You said kids, 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 family, 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 kids, kids, kids was your answer to that question. And to me, I was sitting there listening, going, here's a guy who is going to do whatever it takes because he does not have the option to fail. And that's a person that I'll partner with. And, and, and so I, I think that people need to think about that. And, you know, really it comes down to not necessarily are we doing the exact same amount of work, right? I don't look at you and go, oh, I did this number of hours or this number of deals or generated this amount of revenue. And so like, what did you do? Like, I don't think about it like that at all. What I think about is, do I feel like your, all my partners are putting in a good faith effort to, yeah. to do what we have to do to be successful and if the answer to that is yes, and it always has been yes, then I'm not even looking at numbers. I'm not even thinking about money. I'm thinking about the forest from the trees, but I can see how, but we've also been successful. I mean, there's that, right? And yeah, you could see in a time of depressed revenue and right where things could get a lot more tense. I think it also, Sorry. if you have partners that aren't 
I think, Kevin, you go back to like, you know, the money versus the operation. If there's, y'all are both in the business though. Very much. Yeah, right. My, my yeah. partner has a full-time career outside of the business. Yeah. And so I think that was a, that was a tough nuance with expectations and communication yeah. and, you know, there was a level of that, you know, that was his priority and still is. Um, but then the business changed and needed more involvement and needed more attention. And it just, there, there was, you know, pulling in two directions and it got to, I think it just got to a point where it was, you need to figure out, or, you know, he needs to figure out what is the priority. Is it, is it jumping into this and going full steam and make, you know, taking this to where we think it can go, or is it his priority, which is the other practice. And I think that's where it boiled down to. And we kind of went back and forth on that for, you know, for a while. And then just came to the point where I think we just didn't see eye to eye on, on how things were going to progress and needed to progress. So I don't think it's necessarily that I'll, I'll never do partnerships again. I mean, I'm still in one in the veil business and that one's going great. Yeah. And so, you're I, married, but, so, you know, and I'm married and I, yeah. So I, I think there's, <laughs> and I think that one's going great, but I, I think I am not closed off to it, but it's gotta be very well thought out. I think there's a lot of expectations, communication, level setting for the get go, a lot of documentation, the operation operating agreement can go a long way. Yeah. To make, making sure if it does dissolve, it it makes that process less contentious and super easy. Yeah. Every every time I have someone asking about a partnership agreement and wanting something, you know, short and sweet and simple, you know, I'm always kind of like, are 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 we sure? It's there's something to be said for easy to understand, etc. But but to your point, I mean, you have to make sure you dedicate the time and resources to thinking about the worst. I mean, you really do. It's just like, it's just like estate planning and stuff like that. I mean, when you're, when you get married and have your first kid and you're 29 or whatever, like nobody wants to think about what if you don't come home tomorrow morning in a car accident, but you got to think about it, right? You owe it to your family to do it. It's the same thing in a business partnership. Plan for the worst, hope for the best. Yeah, absolutely. And just always be successful. Then you don't have to worry that's, about yeah, these things. That's just know? always be, that's the best advice. Yeah. If you episode. always win, you don't have to worry about it. That's right. That's it. All right, Jake. I think on that note, my friend, we should wrap. Uh, I just want to say rooting for you. I think you're an incredible guy. I really appreciate you coming on. And we'll give you the opportunity. We'll give you the floor here if there's anything you want to plug or Kevin, if there's any last words you want to have here. Yeah, Jake, where do you want people to find you? If, you know, any any other interesting projects you're working on that, you want to plug, I don't know if you're doing a newsletter or anything like that, but yeah, feel free to plug where people can come learn more about your businesses and what you're working on. Oh man. I don't know if I have time for a newsletter. <laughs> well, you don't have to announce a new one. No, I, I think Twitter, they can, everybody can find me there. I think it's at Jake Lee Wakely. I think it was created years ago and I just never changed it. Well, we'll, we'll link, drop love, it in you, the show. You notes. were intending to just read the news and have fun. And here we are at <laughs> J- Jake Lee. Oh. J-A-K-E-L-Y, Wakely, W-A-K-E-L-Y, Jakely Wakely. Yeah, Jakely Wakely. Yeah, LinkedIn as well. I'm sometimes on there, but yeah, between those two, if anybody wants to wants to reach out, I'm happy to talk through anything. Help out where I awesome. can. Jake, thanks a ton for joining us today, man. Great, great conversation. I learned a lot from you. Appreciate you making yep. the time. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Mundane Millionaires. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, make sure to follow Mundane Millionaires wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. See you next time.